We invite you to join us this coming Wednesday as we continue our series in kindness. And as Brian alluded to, the, the app that you can download that will kind of just give you some ideas on how to share kindness with people around you in your daily life. But we invite you to Ash Wednesday. It's a great time for the kids to be there as well. We love here across town being able to rip off some of the traditional expressions of the Christian faith. It's one of the cool things about being interdenominational. You get to steal in the name of God. And so we love stealing some of these really cool things. And Ash Wednesday is a time where we just kind of, I mean, actually literally mark ourselves in remembrance of the period leading up to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And it kind of brings an awareness to us that in the cycle of life, in the cycle of a year, that there are, there are these times that we just remember what God has done for us. So we invite you to be a part of it. If you don't come from a Catholic or Lutheran or high church background, we'll, we'll talk all about it on Wednesday. It's a great experience. Uh, it's fun to bring your kids into it so that they can be a part of it as well. So we invite you to join us. Um, I, just a little side note. I don't know if any of you had the opportunity, but something really cool happened in Charleston yesterday. Um, and it was the commissioning of the USS Charleston. Um, the, I had an opportunity to go. And I got a tour on Friday and got to go on on uh, Saturday. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. If you could just let me just wander just for a second here. Um, uh, I don't know. Well, I'm just going to say it. It is, is, if you look at this ship... It is so B.A. It's incredible, okay? They let me go up onto the bridge, and I got to see how they steer this thing and how they drive it. And I mean, it's a jet ski, basically. It's got these incredible engines, and it's a jet ski. It's over 40 knots. It's the fastest ship in the fleet. The thing's loaded with all kinds of armament. It is basically the tip of the spear of the United States Navy. And uh, the fact that it bears our name... Uh, it was absolutely inc incredible. But one of the things that I saw on it was diversity. You know, I know we've had a lot of talk over the last couple of years about the flag and diversity and rights and all that. And, and that dialogue needs to be something that we're having with each other on, a, on an everyday basis and also in the framework of our society. But sometimes you'll find pockets of America that are kind of operating the way it's supposed to operate. And when they brought out the crew of this ship, I was flabbergasted. Um, almost half of the positions on this ship are held by women in the department head range. Officers, leading chiefs. In the Navy, I'm an old Navy guy, and the chief of the boat is the highest ranked enlisted person, and they're pretty, pretty much officer material. They meet with the captain, but they're also responsible for the crew. And the chief of this boat was a woman who was born um, in Jamaica and had lived there most of her life and came to America. There we go. We got Jamaica represented. Um, and she was absolutely amazing. There were over, on this ship, I believe there were over nine different nationalities represented, um, leadership positions. They, they, they showed us who the... The, the engineer of the boat was. Now, if you're like me, you know, you think the engineer is going to be this 
old Irish guy named Scotty or, you know, Scottish guy named Scotty's going to come out and he's going to power up the warp core and all that other stuff. And um, this little Indian woman, about this tall, had her master's degree from about a gazillion different places. She came out and I was like, that's the engineer of this ship. And, and the reason why it just, um, just kind of blew me away was because diversity under the flag was represented in the tip of the spear. Um, and, and then you'll love the captain that represented all of us because he said it to us as Charlestonians. He said, Charlestonians know this, is that when I'm faced with an enemy, I will send a message to their ship. And I will tell them, I will steer the bow of this ship towards you. And I will bring to bear all the armaments of this ship in the highest technology to destroy you if you make an attack on our freedom. And, uh, you know, I, I mean, I was looking for enlistment papers. I was like, get me on this ship. And, there, and the reason why I tell you, one, it's because you're Charlestonians. Um, the other is uh, don't spend too much time on Fox News and CNN. Because where I see people interacting in, in churches like ours and in communities like the ones that I live in and in other places, diversity, harmony, and love are really happening. Um, and so don't, take a don't allow the bad story to overwhelm your heart. But be a part of the new story where all men and women are created equal in the image of God and are endowed with the rights of personhood. So, because that's what our men and women in the armed forces have signed up for to defend. So, I, I just came away loving America all over again, and I think we all need to do that. So, hey, uh, we've been talking about developing a manifesto, and next week we're actually going to talk about how to actually write one, and we'll have a template on how to do it, maybe the one that I've written, and also some of the other folks in the church have written them, but how to actually take all this that we've learned since the beginning of the new year and actually construct a manifesto. And if, if you're with us here for the first time, I encourage you to jump on. You can listen to the podcast. We've got videos of the sermons, and you can catch up real quick, but I think also today we'll, we'll give you enough insight to know what we're talking about. Because when we talk about manifesto, we're talking about being more than just Bible belters. You know, it, it's a real marginalized view of Christianity. But rather, to be more than just people who have belief systems or values or a morality, but rather to have um, a, a volition, a power, and a strength of life, that we have a determination to create a new future for ourselves and the people around us. That God, when he created us in his image, not only made us in some way appear as he is, but rather he endowed us with the ability to say, let there be and to create a good creation. We have been given that power through manifesto, through the power and the word of God to begin to create a new future that we can all look at and say, it is good, it is good, it is good, just like God in the creation story. So we've been following a man named Nehemiah and his task to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And we've learned a lot of challenging truths over the last couple of weeks. And the reason why we picked him is because we're not starting with something that's perfect. We're starting in a place of brokenness in our own lives. And what we've learned is that we've learned about the need for seeking God's wisdom. 
We've learned about establishing the work of God and, and doing God's work. We've learned about protecting the work. And then last week we talked about doing that work together and creating what we learned through the illustration of a shield wall. That we do life together like the scales of a fish that make up one living organism. That when we overlap each other's life, we bring the beauty and the continuity of the kingdom of God in our lives, but in the lives of other people as well. But one of the things that I think that we forget most is that God is meeting these people of Jerusalem, these Jewish folks that are in this broken down city. He's meeting them in the middle. And that's kind of like my title today is going to be, God will meet you in the middle, but not halfway. And he meets them in the middle. He's not meeting them in the beginning of their lives. He's not meeting them after their lives. He's meeting them right in the middle of the mess. And the people of Nehemiah's time were overwhelmed with the conditions of their lives. They they really were just bogged down. And maybe you've heard the message of having a manifesto. Maybe you've heard about God's got a plan for your life and he wants you to be a part of creating a new future. But what that begins to do is to foster some anxiety or you become overwhelmed when you begin to look at the condition of what your life is and and you begin to wonder whether or not God will do it in your life. Well, the people that were following Nehemiah were no different. When they heard this plan, they were... They were overwhelmed. They, they looked at the rubble of the walls and their city and their homes, and, and the plan of God sounded great, but in the middle of it, there was this sense of being overwhelmed. Nehemiah 4.10 says, Thus in Judah it was said among the people, The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. And you may be here today and you're in the middle of your mess. You may be here today and you've caused the mess of your life. But God meets people in the middle of their mess. And whether you're new to God or whether you've messed up the manifesto that you felt that God had given you in your life, God is here to meet you in the middle and we're going to learn that he's not going to meet you halfway, but he will meet you in the middle. Zacchaeus is a guy that a lot of us know about. He's, he's, he's somebody who was late to the manifesto, the plan of God to create a good future, to create a God kingdom kind of future. And so Zacchaeus is real late to the story, like a lot of us. He was an outsider to the manifesto. The people of his community didn't like him. He was in the middle of a life of extortion, so he was, he was a criminal, basically. He was, he was stealing from the people around him, and he was living in a culture of compromise. But Jesus met him right in the middle of his life. We're told in Luke 19, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, But on the account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on up ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they grumbled, he has gone 
into be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Jesus is meeting Zacchaeus right in the middle of Zacchaeus' life. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said something beautiful to him. He said, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come or had came to seek and to save the lost. He said, today salvation has come to this house. Now, when I hear something like that, I think, well, okay, well, you know, everybody's saved now. So everybody stopped drinking too much alcohol. Everybody, they pulled cable out of the wall. Uh, they did away with the internet. They, they stopped using the F word. They stopped, you know, extorting or all the other things that were going on. But that's not what Jesus says to this man. Jesus sees the response of Zacchaeus, the invitation to experience the grace of God, for God to meet him in the middle. And God says, today salvation has come to your house. This doesn't mean everyone got saved, but what it says is that it brought the elements of salvation right into Zacchaeus' house and into the, into the framework of where he lived. It means that God met him and his family right where they were. Didn't fix everything, didn't make everything perfect. Remember, Jesus didn't say, you need to fix this before salvation comes to your house. And then we'll send a priest over there and he'll do an inspection. He'll pull out your VHS, well, he'll pull out your uh, playlist, boy. I, he'll, pull out your, he'll pull out and he'll begin to look at it and he'll find out, because I remember a Christianity where churches used to put elders and pastors outside of concerts, and that if you went to those concerts, they'd keep track to see if you would go into that concert. Um, there was a time when they, to find out whether or not you were of good standing. I remember a time when Christianity would require that women had to have slacks on when they, 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 they I mean, I couldn't have slacks on when they came and picked up their child from school or some of the, I mean, crazy stuff. If you pulled up, listening to some good ACDC or, or some bad ACDC, and you pulled up, that they would, you know, you'd get written up by one of the elders. And so Jesus says to him, no, he said, today, not tomorrow, not when you get your kids straightened out, not when you get it all worked out, not when you stop cussing, not when at all. He says, today salvation has come to your house. I am meeting you in the middle of what you've got going on. And I think we forget that. Then there was Peter, good old Peter. Peter was one of the first to the manifesto. I mean, Jesus just communicates it to Peter clearer than any other human being on the earth. He says that he's going to build his church on the declaration that Jesus is the, the Messiah. And he communicates it to Peter and says, listen, Peter, I, I'm basically giving you the empowerment, the keys of the kingdom, and, and, and you guys are going to do this. I am entrusting you with the manifesto of the kingdom of God. That's a pretty big deal. And for some of us, we have walked with God, and we've experienced his grace and his love, and, and we've experienced being a part of what God is doing. But then there were those times when we just kind of messed up the manifesto. 
whether it was in our marriage, whether it's with our kids, our friends, or our testimony, there's those times when we just messed it up. And after being told how he was going to be used mightily by God, what does Peter do? Three times he denies Christ. Not just once. This is not just a, a, a bad mistake that, oops. But three times over a period of hours, he's got time to think this through. He, he denies Christ over and over again. And then he runs out into the darkness with shame. And that's what I think that a lot of us are in that place. Is that we hear about the kingdom of God, we hear about how God wants to partner with us. But some of us have run out into the darkness and shame. And we think it's, it's over for people like us. Oh yeah, they, the awesome people that they put their kids in Christian school and, and got Jesus when they were little kids. And, and, and they're awesome people. I don't want to be dogging them out because a lot of you are those people. But we think that those are the only people that God really does great and wonderful things. That they were born into the flow of Jesus. We think that that's all there is. And then the, there's this other group of people, well, God kind of met us in the middle. And Peter's in this place where he has blown it big time with God. And he runs out into the shadows of shame. And that's what makes it so interesting what Jesus does next with him. After rising from the dead, Jesus appears with, to the disciples standing on the shore while they are fishing in a boat. And he begins having a little bit of a conversation with them, asking them how the fishing is. Jesus is a good, good guy. I mean, he knows how important fishing is. And, and once they realize it was him, Peter jumps into the boat and he swims where Jesus is while the rest of them gather up the catch and then begin to paddle in. But I want you to hear what happens next. In John 21, verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. I don't want you to miss that. That is, I mean, I didn't think Jesus did dishes. Okay, I didn't think Jesus cooked. And some of you ladies have read that story about Mary and Martha, and some of you have been secretly angry with God about that. It's like, oh yeah, Mary's all, you know, but I'm over here having to clean dishes. And you know, so how does Jesus, my wife said it all the time, I wonder how the heck Jesus thought the dishes were gonna get done. I'm supposed to be a Mary, but I'm a Martha, you know. Well, it's not that dishes shouldn't get done and, it, and, and that guys can't wash dishes. Well, I think that's exactly what Jesus is showing us, that a dude can cook. And so when they, when, when they get to the land, when Peter gets to the land, he doesn't land in a hostile environment like a father standing there that maybe you were raised with who was standing there at the door, tapping his foot, looking at his watch, maybe with a switch or a belt uh, hanging at his side and saying, you're late. But rather what Jesus did for this broken man who blew his manifesto he said, listen, i got to warm this up a little bit. So he makes a fire. I need to make this a little bit more tasty. So he gets some fish and he gets some bread and he prepares a meal for Peter. Because he knows where Peter is. He knows that Peter blew it. But he also thinks, he also knows that Peter thinks he's not redeemable. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says something beautiful and simple to him. He says to him, feed my lambs. You know, this is the starting place of the manifesto. It's like, you know, it's, it's not going home and necessarily just throwing things off the countertop or, or going home and rewiring everything, but rather is the starting place of a broken life is love. That's where Jesus starts with Peter, and that's where you need to start with you. That's where you need to start at home. Christ graciously and personally, personally affirms Peter's manifesto. He says, just love my sheep. And he just kind of recommissions or reaffirms the commission of, of Peter. Now, I'm normally a tempo guy when I come to preach, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm all laid out. I've got notes. I've got, you know how I run things. Videos all of a sudden start up and, and all that other stuff happens. And I'm all about tempo and, and presentation and all that. But I'm not going to be today. Because today is the most important message that some of us will ever hear. And we've got to slow down to let the Spirit of God do something inside of us. We have this crazy notion that our lives aren't going to be God good unless we got it right from the beginning. We've got this crazy notion that our kids aren't going to be God good unless we got it right with them from the very beginning. We have this mentality that we're in some sort of deficit. Or maybe we, are, we don't have the same expectation that people who got it good from the beginning have in their lives. Redemption and perfection are equivalent in God. If you're a philosopher, if you're a theologian, if you're just a newcomer to Christ, this is something that you really need to think about. That redemption and perfection are equivalent in God. God's not more perfect than he is redemptive. You know, when you get redemption from God, it's not like a second class thing you get from God. As if redemption is less than what God is and perfection is really what God is. The grace of God in a broken life is just as much God as the righteousness of God in a perfect life. And, and, and I, I know that you're probably affirming that theologically in your mind. But I don't think most of us are believing that in our souls. You know, if you ever wondered why, why I am the pastor of this church, um, I mean, there are, there are prettier people, there are smarter people, there are more educated people, there are better leaders than I am, there are more spiritually mature people than I am, and I'm 60, but I, I have no idea any signs of growing old, I mean, growing up anytime soon. And you say, well, why would God have you here, Paul? It's because I have, without a doubt, 
that God wants to use my life to show you that the grace of God in a broken life is just as much God as the righteousness of God in a perfect life. See, that's where Bible Belt got it wrong all, the year, all these years. If you got God, you don't smoke. If you got God, you don't drink too much. If you got God, you shouldn't have to put software on your phone, not look at porn. You know, if you got God, if you really got God, you should be giving most of your money to the church. If you got God, you shouldn't be use all these bad words or watching that movie and all that. As if that if you got God, you got perfection and you live perfect. But I'm telling you that if you've got grace, you got just as much God as if you got the righteousness of God through a perfect life, which is impossible. There's a verse, and I don't know why I didn't put it up on the screen, but it says that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's like, wow. Like, yes, every one of us who received the redemption and the grace of God, we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're not just like forgiven human beings, you know, like we're, we're that's why I hate the phrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That is so ridiculous. Man, do you think God sent his only son into the world that he would pour out his blood just so that he could give you a catchphrase, I'm just a sinner saved by grace? I mean, that it wouldn't transform you into something more than that? No, the standard of God is that through the grace of God, I become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you say, well, you're not perfect. Yeah, but redemption's equivalent to righteousness. You know, and the perfection of God is given to me. You say, well, I, does that mean you don't cuss anymore? Yeah, 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 I do, do. Do I want to? Well, not, yes, I do at times. I really do want to. Uh, I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> Why start now? You know, but sometimes a good cuss word is a, a help in a time of need. Um, <laughs> But why don't I get down on me? Why don't, why don't I get down that I've been divorced and remarried? Why don't I get down that I struggle after all these years? Why don't I get down on that? It's because I believe that the grace of God in this broken life is just as much God as the righteousness of God in the perfect life of Christ. And I don't think we all believe that. I think we all agree with it. But I really don't think we believe it. Jesus told a parable to illustrate this point. And it's not a parable that's used a lot. But let me read it to you. Matthew 20, starting verse 1, it says, For the kingdom of God is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for the denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. And going out on the third hour, he saw others standing idly in the marketplace. And to them, he said, if you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. And so they went. And going out again the sixth and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now, when those hired first came, they thought that they would receive more. We're the perfect crowd. I been the elder son in the story of the prodigal son. It's like we've been doing everything right. I've been serving God all my life. You know, so they show up and they're like, wow, this is what happens for, the, for these losers? This is what's going to, I can't imagine. And so they thought that they were going to get more. And on receiving it, the denarius that they were agreed upon, they began to grumble at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. You're making grace and righteousness equal? How dare you? But he replied to one of them, friend, I am, only, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. And then he says something really important. He says, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. See, even those who showed up late in the game for the work, God gives them his best. See, he meets them in the middle of their lives, but he doesn't go halfway. He gives them everything. See, God will meet you in the middle of your mess, but he won't go halfway. He'll go 100% and give you the grace and the love that is 100% him for every single one of us. But the problem is, is I think some of us are begrudging, and if we can put that verse back up there, I want you to see the word again, this, this begrudge. He says, or do you begrudge my generosity? Now I know nobody here is like, get just to get generosity out of here, God. I want something better than that. No. But I think some of us think our lives are so bad, we are technically begrudging the generosity of God. Yeah, God, that, I can't use that. It's me. You know me. I've got too much shame. I'm bipolar. I deal with depression. I struggle with alcohol. I struggle with porn. I've been married three times. And inside of us, or maybe, maybe our, our families are messed up. Maybe our kids aren't turning out what we think God should have them turn out to be. And we, we talk about hope, and, and, and yes, you buy into that idea, but inside of you, there's a begrudging. It's like, yeah, you can't give that to me. You, I, it's, it's just not fair. I've done things wrong. It's not fair that somebody like me experience everything from God that is good. And God says, who told you this was fair? It's my stuff, and I can give it to who I want to. And I choose to give it to, to those who are in the middle of their mess, to those who in the beginning 
maybe got it right. And I'd like to see who they are. But God's grace meets us in the middle, but it doesn't go halfway. He gives us 100%. I am, right now, Paul Rianzo, born in Boston, foul as a sailor, and, and just as, you know, you guys know me. You know what's wrong with me. And I can tell you today that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You say, why? How, can, how dare you? Because I will not begrudge the Lord his generosity. If he wants to impute to me that I am righteous, that I am a son of God, a child of God, an heir of God, and that he declares I am seated in the heavenlies with him, and that I will eternally be with him, who am I to turn down a good gift? And the reason why I know it's such a good gift is because I'm one of the late ones to the work because I had messed up so much. But God wants everyone here that if you're in the middle of it right now, you know, and you're looking around and you're saying some of these families that did it right or are doing it right from the beginning and you think, well, it's just not going to work out for us. God says it's going to, that his grace is sufficient for you. A God of redemption is just as good as a God of perfection. The Apostle Paul, who is an incredible example of somebody who blew it in the middle of his life, reinforced this idea. In Ephesians 1.13, he says this, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I mean, you were way over there in the middle of your own thing, and it wasn't like you turned your life around and you worked your way where you finally overcame your addictions, you finally got over your foul mouth, you finally got your family right, you finally got a control of porn, and now you're near God. No. He said, you were far off over there, and here's what brought you near. Not your performance, but the blood of Christ brought you right here. You're, you're right here with me. What an incredible thing. The blood of Christ, the work of God, time, space, and experiences are transversed by God's grace. So you didn't do it perfect. Well, God wants to meet you right here in the middle. So you're late to the party. You know, you've got half your family hate your guts. You know, the stories they're telling that you're a rotten dad. Okay? But you were brought near by the blood of Christ to the kingdom of God. So today, God will meet you in the middle, but not halfway. He brings, all, brings you all the way. Next week, we're going to talk about this writing a manifesto, but I, wanted, I think we need to allow the Spirit of God that is here today. We need to allow the Spirit of God to just talk to us. I think some of you, the manifesto message has been great. It's like, yeah, there's, there's, there's where I should be targeting and I should be creating that and partnering with God. But I think some of you are overwhelmed by your ruins, by your struggles, internal, familial, your social experiences. Sometimes situations in our lives begin to constrict our hopes like, like a snake wrapping around us and constricting us. 
that you see the kingdom of God and you hear about the kingdom of God, but your situation begins to close in on you and you're asphyxiated by being overwhelmed by how broken the world is around you. You may be here today and you think it's too late for you and your family. But God will meet you in the middle of it. But you got to start with grace. And if you start with grace, then you allow salvation to come to you into your house. Doesn't mean it will be perfect. Doesn't mean your marriage will be fixed instantly. But you will have brought the most powerful change agent in the universe into your home and into your life. So I'm going to ask you a question. No, I'm going to allow God to ask you a question. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Do you begrudge my generosity? Yes, you, you think it may be humility. You may be thinking it's brokenness to reject it. You may think it's unworthiness in you you're but a worm but we need to realize what it is it's begrudging the grace of God Jesus said when he looked at Jerusalem he said I've held my hand out all day long in grace inviting these people to the kingdom of God but they rejected it they begrudged my gift so it doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you're living in, what you're in the middle of. The kingdom of God is this. He who is last, she who is last will be first. You will be brought near. So you didn't get him in the beginning. You didn't lay out the family perfect from the start. But the grace of God in a broken life is just as good as the righteousness of God in a perfect life. Father, we enter into this moment with you. And we thank you for this message. Because you give us so much hope. Because, Lord God, I believe that when Zacchaeus went home and salvation came to his house, I bet you they were still arguing. I bet you they were still over drinking. I bet you there were still some, some things going on that were not the kingdom of God. But you and your generosity allowed salvation to come to his house. And all Zacchaeus had to do was to not begrudge the gift of God and to joyfully receive it. So, Father, be with us today. Speak to us. Let us start the manifesto of God with grace. And if God be for us, who could possibly be against us? We thank you, God. And today, I receive the gift of grace and the righteousness of Christ all over again, brand new so that I can raise my head and that I can love your sheep, bring salvation to my home. Let me invite you to receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. 
when we were far off, he prepared a meal. He made the environment warm with grace. 